This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, November 12, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. When Pfizer announced that it had a vaccine to tackle COVID-19, people rejoiced and markets shot up. Vice President Mike Pence took a victory lap on behalf of Operation Warp Speed, the federal government's attempt to quicken the process of developing a vaccine. One problem, though, Pfizer didn't participate in Operation Warp Speed. Cato adjunct scholar Terrence Keeley comments. Pfizer, uh, for their part, seems to have been fairly clear that, no, we were not a part of Operation Warp Speed. And they, at least the CEO, seem to have some pretty good reasons for that. Yeah. I mean, um, if you believe in free markets, the appearance of this vaccine is a complete vindication of free markets. So the uh, chief executive of Pfizer said that he wanted absolutely not to take part in Operation Warp Speed. Because he, and I'm now quoting, he wanted to liberate our scientists from any bureaucracy. He wanted the company scientists to focus on the science and only on the science, not on government paperwork, reports and guidance. And this is actually quite an important story. Out there, you have six huge pharmaceutical companies in Operation Warp Speed, which basically is a scheme by which the government gives these huge corporations very large sums of money to do research into finding a vaccine for COVID. And the one company that beats them all is Pfizer's, which is the one company that does not take part in Operation Warp Speed. And there's another reason that the chief executive gives. He says, partly it's because once you take money from the government, you've got to take regulations and regulations hold you back. But the other reason he gives is incentives. Pfizer put up two billion dollars of its own money. When you've put up two billion dollars of your own money, you're going to go out there and succeed. The other companies, they were taking government money. Obviously, they would hope to do well, but they would lack that incentive of investing your own money. Pfizer did take some money from Germany in the process of developing this vaccine. No, uh, they formed an association with the German company BioNTech. And BioNTech last month took money from the German government. But notice, this was last month, i.e. the German government put in three or four hundred million euros, dollars into this company only after the key work had been done, only after the research had been done. And they gave them the money to upscale and to try to distribute this vaccine amongst the peoples of Germany. But that was a logistic exercise. The key work The research was done by this company on their own money, just like Pfizer's. We spoke a few months ago about how South Korea responded in this pandemic. And uh, if I remember your story correctly, it was essentially South Korea marshaled the resources of the private sector. Um, And to be fair, South Korea had a more recent experience with this kind of uh, illness uh, that spreads rapidly and with uh, some deadly consequences uh, than the United States. And so maybe we're not, uh, it's not too salient for us to have done something like this. But South Korea marshaled the resources of the private sector and said, get out there and do it. That's exactly what South Korea did. And it's exactly what Taiwan did. And they're the two great success stories of the civilized, industrialized world. The moment this virus was discovered, The moment the sequence was made, the South Korean government called together 
20 of the leading biotech companies and took them to Seoul and said, give us a test based on this RNA sequence, and we promise you that there will be absolutely no bureaucratic obstructions. And within literally weeks, South Korea was testing hundreds and then thousands and then tens of thousands of people so that they stopped the infection from getting a hold in the nation. They killed it dead. And it was absolutely the government harnessing the power of the private sector. If you look at Britain or you look at the United States of America, you look at the CDC, you look at the FDA, these state-funded institutions failed. They failed for a number of reasons, not because the people employed by those institutions were bad people, they are good people, but because these state-funded institutions weren't given the right direction, they weren't given the right funding, they weren't given the right incentives, and they failed. What the South Korean government and the Taiwanese government did is they went to the private sector, set them the targets, promised full support, and the private sector, my goodness me, it showed how well it could do. Uh, it, it's sort of remarkable when I uh, think back to uh, the summer when we had this sort of lull and it seemed that things were going our way before cases shot back up again. There was a moment where uh, President Trump was standing in the Rose Garden introducing the CEOs of various large companies, companies with significant logistics experience, significant uh, experience with distributing drugs, with distributing vaccines, that sort of thing. And I thought to myself, wow, him standing back and allowing these large-scale private sector actors to step forward here, wow, he's never looked more presidential. Yes, well, it's a shame it didn't work. I think basically because the virus had simply got too wide and deep an infiltration into American society. But on the other hand, I mean, this is a complicated story because it's the same story globally, apart from the success stories, of course, like South Korea or Taiwan or New Zealand. But it's the same story in Britain. It's the same story in Germany. It's the same story in France. All these countries are now seeing a huge revival of this virus. And so it's a, that is obviously a complicated tale of people beginning to relax um, social distancing becoming to be relaxed. It, that is a complicated story. The, the, it is a shame, however, that in the very early stages, uh, when President Trump could have taken a much more proactive step, he didn't. He could have been much more proactive at the beginning. And it's not just enough to say that unlike the South Koreans or the Taiwanese, we weren't exposed to SARS and all those other recent viruses coming out of China. We were exposed to Ebola. And President Obama, and I'm not making a political point here, I'm just describing the evolution of events. President Obama did create um, pandemic units in the White House associated with the National Security Council and other institutions that were designed absolutely to learn the lessons of Ebola. And President Trump chose to dissolve those units because he did not think the lessons of Ebola were relevant. So there was precedent that President Obama had taken advantage of and that President Trump dispensed with. When you're dealing with an infectious disease, one where our normal social interactions are uh, potentially uh, risk factors for uh, catching it and then spreading it further, especially with a long incubation period for uh, an illness like this one, it's natural for people to say the government has to be running 
the response to this. And that is true. And this is a difficult story for libertarians like ourselves, because we tend to believe in liberty and we tend to believe in individual responsibility. However, uh, as even Adam Smith pointed out over 200 years ago, there are certain entities in this world that are genuinely public goods. And one of those public goods is public science. We no longer suffer from smallpox and all the other diseases that were such a nightmare 100, 200 years ago because we have not just vaccines, but we have sewers, we have water supply, we have all sorts of goods that can only be delivered publicly. And so this puts a real demand on government. Government has to sit back and say, what areas here are genuine public goods and what areas would we do better to give the private sector its head? We now know from the bitter experience of the FDA and the CDC earlier on in the year that you cannot rely on state institutions to roll out effectively tests like uh, track and test because they just have failed, whereas the private sector, as Taiwan and South Korea showed, could really get there. On the other hand, for the delivery of public goods, such as actually ensuring that testing all over the country, that's where the public sector has to step in. And so it puts a lot of demands on government. The government has to be clear that it doesn't damage the private sector by taking away its incentives. If you do um, what Operation Warp Speed did, which is just to give money to the private sector, you're taking away incentives. Why should they worry about getting there fast? You've guaranteed their money anyway. So Pfizer did so well because they kept the incentive. They didn't want to lose their $2 billion. On the other hand, you cannot rely on the private sector to deliver track and trace once you've actually got the technology. That has to be a government function. And so a lot is expected of government to know how not to damage the private sector, how to harness the private sector, but also to know when you have to step in and lead as a government. Terence Keeley is an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.